0: You're listening to the Rick Soto Podcast. For more information about Pastor Rick Soto and the Ranch Church, go to ranchchurch.com. Go in your Bibles to Romans chapter three. As I end this chapter, this is actually uh, some of the, the richest theology in the New Testament. One of the things you have to know about the book of Romans is that every single doctrine of the Bible goes through it. So that's partly why it's such a rich book. And in chapter three, this is sort of, you know, a Mount Everest kind of teaching that the Apostle Paul is giving to us in terms of theology. So I've entitled this morning's message, How the Law of Faith Works. And in the last section, verse 27, the scripture is gonna say, then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By law of works? No, by law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith, Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. And so, Father, give now, we pray, by the power of the Holy Spirit, supernatural anointing and understanding of your word, that you would be God lifted high and that we would be your children. We all pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So in order to help us understand a little bit of theology, I've come up with a couple metaphors to sort of help us sit on the very end of this text here to kind of get to it. And so so what I want you to understand that Paul is saying is to be right with God, you need an attorney. Actually need an attorney. Now I've, I've... I was part of the transaction of purchasing this property and other things in my life and so I've had attorneys and I know that the business crowd out there will say, no pastor, you don't need an attorney. You need the best attorney, All right? You don't need just any attorney, you need the best attorney. Then secondly, you need a strong cup of coffee. That's a metaphor to teach theology. I'll tell you about that in a moment. And then third, you need a knife. So you need an attorney, he needed a strong cup of coffee and he needed a knife. That's somewhat, when I, when I, when I prayed about this, it came into this, it's kind of reminded me as our family on occasion plays the clue game, right? The clue game, Mr. Green in the kitchen with the gun, right? The professor in the library with the knife, you know? So it sort of sounds a little bit like that. I understand that. By way of introduction, I want you to internalize the following statement because this is everything that Apostle Paul is trying to teach you and us about the glorious salvation that is ours in Christ. And it is this phrase that I want you to write down and truly have. It is God's will to place his righteousness inside your soul. Can you dig it? It is actually the will of God. To take all of his righteousness and to actually put it inside your soul. These are the things that Paul is talking about here in chapter 1, 2, and 3. There is God's righteousness. You don't possess it naturally. You acquire it supernaturally. Being inside your heart and soul, that righteousness does some things that you're going to love. I'm going to explain them through the teaching here in just a moment. You're going to love it. It is his righteousness inside you. Now listen, my friends, church, there's a problem with that statement. And Paul is getting after it. There's a problem. Perhaps you're familiar, you've been around church. Hopefully you do not have churchianity. Hopefully you have Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit living inside you. There's a problem with that righteousness inside you. That righteousness cannot live inside you without the blood of Christ. If God were to place his righteousness inside you without the blood of Christ, do you know what would happen to you? you'd explode, you'd blow up, you'd be squished like a bug, you would cease to exist. He's holy, he's perfectly righteous. His morality, his internal compass, speaking about God is incorruptible. God can never be corrupted. Theologians like to use the phrase, God is God only wise. He knows everything. He doesn't need a doctorate. He doesn't need counsel. He has no democracy in him. When he made the world that you and I are living in, when the laws of physics were created so that you and I are not floating away right now, he merely took a moment of time and spoke it. And then it came about. Father God, creator God's righteousness, Elohim, Yahweh, Adonai, his righteousness cannot come into your life without the blood of Christ. Otherwise, you will die. You'll blow up. You won't exist. But that righteousness, when it comes into your life, it's going to give you a new identity. It's going to give you eternal life. It's going to give you a whole new power. So we, we have to stop for a moment, as the Apostle Paul says here, then what becomes of our boasting? Is it excluded by what kind of law? By a law of works? Can you say it with me, church? No. No. Let's talk about self-righteousness. So this is not a popular topic to talk about self-righteousness. For example, if I were to ask you, are you living the Christian life out in a self-righteous way? You would tend to feel uncomfortable and say no. The average person going down the street, if we were asking, are you, are you seeking God in a self-righteous way? They would tend to say no. But self-righteousness is the human race's great problem, and it is what the Apostle Paul is chasing in chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3, and in chapter 3 as he has been working these things out. Self-righteousness is a problem that Jesus illustrated in Luke chapter 18. He's going to tell a story. It's not, it's not something that he witnessed. It's a parable. So he's going to tell a story to teach a point. In Luke chapter 18, there are two people that go to worship. One is a tax collector. So in that era, in that age, that's really the scum of the earth. You know, that's a person who's been cheating and stealing money from you. Imagine coming to church and sitting next to somebody who you know for a fact created a legal documents subjectively and took money from you and your family, and now they want to sit at church and worship and raise hands. Oh, praise the Lord. Oh, I love my Puerto Rican pastor. Yes, You just took $10,000 from my family because you could. You want to sit next to me and call me your brother and sister? No, I'm not good with that. So in the story of Jesus, that tax collector is that guy. And he's sitting amongst the people of God, and he has, for his own selfish, sinful reasons... Done that to God's people and other people, and then there's a religious person, and, and that religious person is going to look at that person and go, God, you know, I'm so glad that I'm not like that person, <laughs> tax collector, and all that other scummy things that they do. I'm not like that, God, I'm not like that, I'm not like that. I, you know, I'm, I'm here at church, I'm here at church early on time, I tithe, I witness. Pastor wants me to attend DNA classes for church. I go to those things at 4 o'clock, and I do this, and I do that, and I do this, and I do that. Luke 18, Jesus. Teaching a point of these two who walked away right before God, the tax collector broken before God, Have mercy on me. I actually am a sinner. All these people have a right to kill me right now. I have done the wrong things here and there and here and there. And I am before you, God, saying, I must repent. I must be right. I need your help. Any judgment of God is just on me. Please have mercy. And he actually, Jesus says in his teaching, is beating his chest. And so Jesus, Luke 18, is going to say, which one of these guys walked away, walked away righteous before God? Not the Bible study person, not the one attending the DNA classes for church, not the one showing up on time, going to missions, tithing, and all of that. It's this guy. You understand how deep a problem self righteousness is? Paul's using very intelligent academic words to get there, but he's talking about self righteousness is your problem and my problem. There's all kinds of self righteous issues, there's an intellectual side of self righteousness, there's a moral side of self-righteousness. Here's an illustration of an intellectual, and you guys probably enjoy this, and I, I, I can talk about it. So I have, a, I have a brain doctor that has I talk to on the phone from time to time. It's related to a prior circumstance in my life and uh, related to a, an, an injury I had. And so uh, it's just a fascinating relationship, and we maybe talk about it every six months or so. Okay, so a doctor, PhD, medical professional, brain surgeon, multiple degrees in multiple disciplines. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't even know how he pulled it off in his lifetime, you know, the, this many PhDs. So I meet him and we say hello to one another. And uh, he says, hello, pastor, I'm an atheist. Oh, the first time. Okay, well, I just wanna get better, bro. I'm like, you know, like, I don't, I don't really care. You know, I mean, who socially walks up to somebody and says, you know, hi. I'm Rick Soto, and I'm baptized in the Holy Spirit. I speak in tongues. Are you guys good at that yet? Yeah. Like, we don't say that. That's just so, so weird. You know, we would never, we'd never be that way. And so, and so he, he lets me know. He lets me know he's an atheist. Okay, bro, can you help me out or not? All right. So anyway, has good advice for me, and and uh, somehow we have this odd connection where it's where it's different as two people could ever ever be, and and so here here's this thing. He's, he wants to let me know that there's a brain. You know, there's a physical brain, pastor. Everybody has the physical brain. I'm paying you a lot of money to tell me that. Yes, but there's, there's this brain. But you see, outside the brain, there's this mind. So everybody has a mind outside the brain. I go, well, that's, that's what we call the soul. You are not to talk. That's what he says. And so, so there's this brain and there's this mind. But what I'm trying to tell you, that you're not paying attention, Pastor, is that there's this greater mind out there. There's this greater mind out there. And, and you, you can actually ask that greater mind to help you in your mind that will help your brain, that will affect your whole body. That, that, that's really true. And I can prove it academically to you. And so he goes on and on. I'm just sitting there. And if you know the scriptures and you are a Christ follower, you're almost laughing, right? I go, my brother, you, you understand that you're explaining salvation. No. You understand that that's talking about the spirit world. No. So I'm trying to figure out how to reach this guy. We seemingly have this connection and so so here it was pretty recent. And it's to the point of self-righteousness. What do you tell a man that intelligent? So I pray for him and I say, "Sam, listen my brother, I'm wondering, you know, you're all about this mind, the greater mind, the mind, the brain." Can I ask you, how do you access that? How do you access that greater mind you keep talking about into this mind that you keep talking about that's outside the physical brain that if you could actually access that? how Can you tell me how to do that? How do you do that? Dun, da I don't know, pastor. I've been studying my whole life to try and figure it out. I just know that it exists and that it's real. Okay, my brother, then why don't you allow me to tell you about Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, crucified for your sins, and the God who made your brain? Because I feel very uncomfortable with the idea that I need to be saved. Thank you. All five of your degrees are all about self-righteousness. And you're just like everybody else. I love you with all my heart. Thank you for being medically helpful to me. So that's self-righteousness. That's of the intellectual variety. Of the moral variety, you might find a little a little bit more uh, cousin to, to your experience. So, as a Calvary Chapel pastor and having, a, having read Pastor Chuck Smith's books, the following story is in at least six of his books. And, it, and as far as I can remember, he told the story in just about every single one of the pastor conferences in one way, shape, or form. Sometimes just off the cuff, sometimes more at length. He, pastor Chuck Smith grew up in a, in a, a devout Christian home that had some very strong, what we call legalistic overtones. And so what they did is they got cards out and they did this amongst kids. So imagine we get our kids to get cards out and these were like these morality pledges that you went through. So as he would tell the story, and I have, like I could never have existed in this world, but so this is more the World War II era. So then they, you know, what, what are you not going to do this year? Okay, well, I'm not going to smoke and I'm not gonna, in his he talks about not going to movies, like the movie theaters were like, you know, you're going to hell. And uh, so you're not going to smoke. And, uh, and then the other thing was you're not going to go to high school dances. You know, that's no, no, we're not going to, you know. So obviously Elvis Presley was out and everybody else of that era. And so whatever it was, you just wrote those things down. Oh, the big one was I'm never going to swear. I'm not going to say bad words. Well, you know what happens. It's what happens to him. It happens to us. Okay, I'm never going to use bad words, swear, or lose my temper. What happened 90 days later? Oh, he swore, he lost his temper, you know, he let it go. Well, what happened about six months later? A bunch of his friends filled up in a car and said, we're gonna go see a movie. Just a movie, you know, not, not something like, you know, we're talking about a G-rated movie. You wanna go? Sure. You know, and on and on it goes. So there is a self-righteousness of an intellectual variety and there is a self-righteousness of a moral variety. I want you to hear the Apostle Paul's words here. Then what becomes of our boasting? Are we going to be self-righteous? No, it is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law, by a law of works? No, but by the law of, can you say it out loud? Faith. Faith. So why do we need an attorney because first john chapter 2 verse 1 through 2 the apostle john writing says my little children i'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin you know what he's doing he's also thinking because he says but if anyone does sin which would be you and i we have an advocate with the father jesus christ the righteous and he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. That is the description of Jesus being an attorney, that advocate. So why do you need an attorney? I mean, why, why, would, why would God set up salvation in this sense so that you actually can, can come to some sort of comprehension, excuse me, that you don't just need an attorney, you need the best attorney. Oh, here it is. So that no one can steal what is yours. Church, write that down. So that no one can steal what is yours. You have divine rights. You have divine callings. And you have divine blessings that God foreknew, Ephesians chapter 1 and chapter 2, that God actually designed for you. Divine rights, divine callings, divine blessings. You have those. Apostle Paul in chapter 11, just by way of reference of the book of Romans, chapter 11, verse 29, he's gonna say some of the most potent, comforting words to you and I. Your calling your blessings, he's going to use the word calling, is sure and irrevocable. Romans chapter 11, verse 29, that's what he's working up to. So they cannot be stolen. And there's going to be a legal binder. Now, one of the things that was fascinating about purchasing the property, since it's such a large transaction, and we had a great attorney. In fact, uh, Jack would love to be with us this morning, and is fighting uh, health issues in his life, and... Uh, And so he would love, love to be here. And the girls in the office and all the paralegals did a fantastic job. What was so fascinating was was they gave us one binder and like two binders and three binders. That's a lot of copies. And there's all these binders with all these legal terminologies in it that says that the ranch church bought shoestring vineyard and farms and winery and that this now belongs to the people of God and it cannot be taken away. One binder, two binder, yeah, you can get happy about that. Three binder, four binder, right? Then and 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 lots of click-throughs online that okay, yes, 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 and, and and this whole place is measured, and there's all these legalities that say it belongs to you and it belongs to Jesus Christ. So here's the legal binder. Here's here's why you need an attorney, because here's what God is saying. This is really a summary of chapter three. These terms justified found earlier in the chapter. You know what justified means? It's a really common way of thinking, and it's a good one, just as if you never sinned. In other words, you owed a debt to God, Jesus Christ paid it on the cross. Now when God looks at you, thinks about you, when he has a relationship with you, it's just as if you never sinned. Did you steal? Killed, destroyed, did you do lots of things that you'd be embarrassed to tell people about? Maybe this day, yesterday, the day before, or prior to your life, just as if you never sinned. That's justified. The other word found in a few verses earlier is the word redeemed. Redeemed is a word from a slave auction. So you were enslaved to sin. You were bought, just like a slave, out of sin and set free. The word grace, grace means unmerited favor. So you did nothing to get the favor of God. You have the favor of God, unmerited favor. Mercy, mercy means what you're getting, a blessing that you don't deserve. That's mercy. And propitiation means, hilasterion means that God is actually satisfied with your life because he's satisfied with the blood of Christ. In other words, he's satisfied with justified, redeemed, grace, mercy, and propitiation. All of these terms that are legal. This law of faith says that you have been set free from the laws of sin and death. So secondly, let's talk about this strong cup of coffee. That's all the attorney. That's all the attorney. Do you got a church? Yes? Okay, let's go to the strong cup of coffee here. So I'm new to the coffee world. And for the most part, uh, I just maybe every other day or something like that, get a a block and just a little bit and enjoy it. And so what's fascinating is some of you people might be more religious about coffee than you are of Jesus Christ. (laughs) So I decided to mess with the brother uh, in the Lord. We get along great. Uh, from our church. And he, you know, when we get together for discipleship, you know, our little covenant is like, you're you're not going to have your, you're not going to answer your phone for that hour. And so he answered his phone for that hour and walked away. And since your pastor is a bit of a stinker, I decided to open up the sugar and pour a lot into his coffee, (laughs) stir it all up. And so he came back and I'm sorry about that pastor. I'm sorry about that. So he starts drinking his coffee and he looks at me with that look. <laughs> did you mess with my coffee? Yeah, I messed with your coffee. You, you, you messed with my coffee? Yeah, bro, you, you said we, we're not gonna answer our phones. Well, what if, yeah, you walked away, so I, you put some sugar in your coffee cup. Yeah, I did that, I did that, I did that. <laughs> You're gonna buy me a new cup of coffee. No problem, I'll do that again. Don't pick up your phone again. Okay. So people are really powerful in their convictions of how they want their coffee. And some people really want a strong cup of coffee. Romans chapter 5, 6, 7, 8, and 12 all talk about the power of faith. The power of faith. You can think of it analogous to a strong cup of coffee that gets you going. In chapter 5, we're going to hear lots about Abraham. And how Abraham actually is the father of our faith. There was no law. He actually heard God and looked at the stars above and said, So shall your seed be. And he understood all the way forward through the covenants to Galatians chapter 3, interestingly enough, verse 16. Most people know John 3:16. This is Galatians 3:16. And so he believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. These are, and this is what Paul is saying as he mentions, or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? That law and power of faith. Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith. I'll get to that in just a moment. So here's an axiom. You're going to love this. An axiom is something called a self-evident truth. So here it is. Jesus either has you or he doesn't. This is the summary teachings, the first three chapters of Romans. Jesus either has you or he doesn't. No self-righteousness. No self-justification. By faith, he either has you or he doesn't. If he has you, Your faith, secondly, if he has you, if Jesus has you, your faith will grow, pay attention now, through blessing and through hardship. Your faith will grow. First, if Jesus has you, it's either he has you or he doesn't. Secondly, if Jesus has you, your faith will grow. It will grow through blessing. It will grow through blessing and hardship teachings of paul in the book of philippians power of the resurrection the joy of it and the sufferings of it third if your faith is growing through blessings and hardship pay attention church the mountains will move if jesus has you if your faith is growing through blessings and hardship Then if your faith is growing through blessings and hardship, the mountains will move. You need mountains to move for you today? They will move. The things that you need answered to on prayer, God will give you answered prayer to. The things that you need to continually, daily, daily trust him for, you can trust him for. The things that you are seeking God for, he can be sought. But that is the axiom related to, yes, of Gentiles also. This is also that strong cup of coffee, that the law is not of works and that we have actually have this attorney that has actually provided for us the redemption of our souls and it is actually for every single person and the mountains will move for you if he has you. Third, related to circumcision, who will justify the circumcision by faith and the uncircumcised through faith, Do we overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Circumcision, this is the knife metaphor, is simply the cutting away and the bringing forth. Paul will mention that in a spiritual sense only as he is in the latter part of Romans chapter 2 that circumcision is one of the heart. So there's a person out there that understands a false gospel. They think, yes, I'm forgiven of sin. They do not understand that the Spirit of God is going to search them deep inside their heart and cut away the flesh. What false thinking do you have? What pains and wounds do you hold on to like idols? What disappointments are now the most dominant way in which you orient yourself to life? The knife is the spirit of God and love because the freedoms that you do not enjoy are because you're holding on to something that's carnal or old. And so the uncircumcised, as was mentioned here physically, and the circumcised, this is the Jew and Gentile of the text, they actually are saved by faith. As will be mentioned in the next chapter, that is a soul work. And so how is the great physician doing operating on your soul? I find it so fascinating, unfortunately, as a man who's had multiple surgeries for mainly all kinds of athletic type things and have had a number of joints repaired and praise the Lord, everything works the way it's supposed to work. But when the surgeon goes to have sur- to, do, to operate on an ACL back in the day or on a shoulder just not long ago, you know what's fascinating? I go into the operating room, and now it's just funny because now all the doctors are my friends or are acquaintances or whatever. And so, so the first thing they do is they give me a shot to relax me. So this last time from my shoulder, I said, Doc, why do you need to put me out? Oh, I need you to relax so that you won't move. Which would be good. And sometimes the Spirit of God is going to come to you and ask you to relax so that he can do the surgery that he needs to do inside your heart and soul. Sometimes that's a devotional time. Sometimes it's discipleship and conversations with somebody else. Sometimes it's the worship nights that we have tonight. But the Lord Jesus Christ wants to operate on your soul. I'm going to ask you, church, to let that happen right now. Thank you for listening to the Rick Soto podcast. For more information about Pastor Rick Soto and the Ranch Church, go to ranchchurch.com.